Well, good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor. It is so good to have you guys with us today on such a beautiful Sunday morning. Um, I have not seen rain like this in quite a spell, and it reminded me uh, of something that my father once taught me, and that's that April showers bring May flowers, and May flowers bring pilgrims. And so... So you're welcome for that this morning. So prepare yourselves for some pilgrims. They are surely coming. All right, well, uh, that is the worst joke I have prepared for us today. So let's get ready for it to just get funnier from there, I hope. And uh, I'm excited. I hope uh, this, is, this is a big week for us at the gathering, um, for our staff, actually. Uh, if you don't know this, our church is a part of a larger network called the ARC, the Association of Related Churches. Um, it's a church planning network, and then a, a network even beyond just planning churches of about 750 churches and growing. We're always planting new churches. Our church is a big part of planting new churches through that. In fact, when you give to the gathering church, you're actually giving to brand new churches uh, in new cities all over our country. And so um, we love the Ark, and once a year they have this big conference where our whole staff, we go out to Birmingham, Alabama, to, uh, you got to say it like that, to Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, we go to the Church of the Highlands, and uh, it's an incredible time for our staff to be encouraged and invested in um, and kind of excited and, and pumped up uh, for what, what God's going to do next. And so I'd invite you to pray for our staff this week as we're out doing that at the ARC Conference, and we'll all be right back here with you next Sunday and uh, feeling refreshed and encouraged and maybe a little bit sleepy from all the travel and information, but ready to go. Well, today we're going to finish, uh, or we're going to be in week three of our series, The Road, that we started on Easter. Now, th this series, the idea has been that we, we want to talk a little bit about what it looks like just to walk down that road to follow Jesus, what it really means to be in a relationship with Him. What does life look like in a relationship with Jesus? What are the basics? What do we need to know in order to follow Him well, to go down that narrow road that Jesus talks about that enters into life with him, And so on Easter Sunday, we talked about uh, the, the power of the cross and how the cross was this complete event where our sins were forgiven completely, that we received grace from the cross that would make us white as snow, that all our sins were forgiven and all we have to do is accept the gift of the cross and we can receive that forgiveness today. But we also talked about that we don't have to live just in the ruins of our mistakes, forgiven but still in ashes that God wanted to use resurrection power in our lives as well so that we might have new life in Jesus. And then last week we looked at the life of Peter. And we looked at this giant from the Bible, Peter, and we, we talked about what, what it would really look like to uh, engage a life with Jesus. What it would look like to engage the Holy Spirit through learning to have regular rhythms of prayer and scripture study. And what it would look like to engage community, to really be a part of the church and grow alongside our church community. And so that's kind of where we've gone so far today. I want to take it another step in and talk about kind of what to do next. So if you are starting to get into community and you're starting to practice these spiritual disciplines like prayer and reading the Bible every day, pick a plan, read it every day, and you're starting to do that stuff, uh, maybe you're kind of wondering what's next. And so today I want to look at another giant from the Bible and talk about what we do next. Because I believe that the, the question I received the most from folks who are kind of in that area, in that phase, that kind of in-between. They've started 
this life with Jesus. They've started doing the things that a new Christian has to learn to do. And the next question that they usually have is, yeah, but how do I hear the voice of God? But how do I know when he's talking to me? Like, how do I know what he has to say? What, how, how, do I, how do I listen to him? How do I, how do I know what he wants me to do with my life? Because I've got some big decisions to make, and I need, I need a little bit of help with that. I want to do it you know, God's way. And so how do I hear the voice of God? So to answer that question today, I want to look at another one of these, these giants from the Bible. You know, I love to study the people that are in the Bible and that wrote the Bible because what I'm so encouraged by is that these aren't some sort of a, 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 a character from a story. They're not works of fiction. They're not people that, that, that are so far removed from who I am. Sometimes we feel that way. It's hard to relate to them because their culture is so much different from ours. Or they do these great big things that they feel a lot more like comic book heroes than people like you and me. But the truth is, they're people just like you and just like me. And they're just people that God used to do amazing things. And I believe God wants to use us to do amazing things as well. And so Hebrews 12, 1, it encourages us, encourages us with this great verse. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that, so, that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's keep going down that path. Let's keep going down that road. Let's get closer to who Jesus created us to be. See, this verse reminds me that not only are these people real, they're not distant, they're watching. Like a, like a crowd in the stands cheering us on as we make our way closer and closer to the purpose that God's created us for. And so I love to look at who they are and what they've said and at their lives and just think about, you know, if they were cheering us on in the stands, what would it be like if they were to just step out of the stands and just come talk to us for a minute? How would they encourage us? What would they say? And so today... As we talk about how to hear God and how to, how to listen to Him and how to know when He's speaking to us and how to get into a lifestyle of listening to Him, I think Isaiah is, is maybe the best person for us to listen to, the best person for us to spend some time with this morning. If you don't know Isaiah, Isaiah was a prophet about 800 years before Jesus was born um, in, a, in kind of a, a linchpin season of the history of Israel and Judah. It had split into two kingdoms at that time. And Isaiah was the prophet for Judah, but he's spoken to both Israel and Judah. And Isaiah he is maybe one of the most well-known prophets uh, because his book is so darn long. It's 66 chapters. And so today I want to look at each of those chapters and pull, uh, pull one point from each chapter that we can learn from this morning. I'm just kidding. It won't be that long. Um, it'll be close. Uh, and so, uh, no, but, but, but Isaiah is also one of the only, pro the only prophet of the Old Testament to really see Jesus. So he went into the throne room of Jesus. He actually saw the crucifixion happening, and he writes about it in great detail in his prophecies. And so Isaiah had a really unique perspective for an Old Testament prophet for us to learn from. And beyond that, Isaiah, being a prophet, his whole job was to help the people see. Because that's the job description for a prophet of God. They called them seers. And their job was to help the people see. God would speak through the prophet and say, all these people, they're not seeing this truth. I need you to speak to them. And that's what the prophet did. And so today I believe Isaiah is going to help us see 
how we can listen to God. I think the focal passage, the focal verse, the theme verse for his writings are in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21. And it says this. He says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. No matter where your life's gone before now, no matter, no matter what, where you turn, no matter, who you, no, matter, no matter which way you go, if you're following God, if, no matter which way you look, you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. The prophet would encourage us that the voice of God is not only speaking to us, that he's always right there, that he's always waiting to just show us our next step, to lead us that one step closer. Maybe you're here this morning, you've been following Jesus for a long time, and it's not, you're just thinking, that's not been my experience. That's not, the, that's not what I've seen. I, I've been following God, and I look to my right and my left, and you know what I hear is just rain this morning. Nothing. Nothing. And I believe there's a reason for that that I want to talk about this morning. I think Isaiah would step in and say, let me show you why. And so here's, here's the key. If we want to learn how to hear God, first we have to encounter God. And so I believe that what Isaiah would tell us this morning, number one is this, that an encounter with God changes everything. An encounter with God changes everything. That if you want to hear him, first you have to encounter him. So let's walk a little bit through what an encounter with God looks like this morning, and we'll talk about how we can experience that. First, I think it's this. This is what we see in Isaiah's life. I believe it's this. I think our greatest pain can be a catalyst for our greatest gain. See, I think encounters with God, they can happen anytime God wants it to, and anytime we seek hard enough, which we'll talk about in a second, but I also think there are seasons where they're more likely to happen. And I think that our seasons of pain are some of the most vulnerable seasons for us to encounter God, some of the most likely seasons for us to encounter God. I believe that our seasons of pain can be a catalyst for our greatest gain. Now, maybe you've been in a season of pain or you're in a season of pain and you just were like, Pastor, put the brakes on right there because that is not what I have experienced. That is not the truth that I have seen in my life so far. In fact, I feel like when I'm in seasons of pain that I'm further away from God, not closer to Him. And I think there's a reason for that. I think it's because our instinct as humans, as people, as broken people, is in our seasons of pain to run from God. See, I think that when we really hurt, that our instinct is to separate ourselves from God, is to keep ourselves from His people. I think that when we're hurting in these seasons, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll distance ourselves from the church, from community, from our Bibles, because we don't want to hear it. But I believe it is those seasons that we can really experience Him. Isaiah writes in chapter 6 about his encounter with God, and it was remarkable. But look at how it starts. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In, in the year King Uzziah died. Now that's a timestamp. Anytime you read in the Old Testament and it, and it says it starts with telling you about a king dying, that's called a timestamp. It lets you know when this was. But for Isaiah, this was more than a timestamp. Because Isaiah was the prophet to the king. He was, in, he was in council with the king. And the prophet was supposed to be 
regular part of the king's cabinet, if you will. He was a part, part of the king's court. He was supposed to be at the king's side, helping him in this. This is, this is God's people. And it was the king's job to lead God's people closer to God. And so the prophet's job was to stay next to the king and help the king see the best way forward. Except that it didn't work that way with most kings. You see, throughout Israel and Judah's history, most of the kings decided that instead of going God's way, they'd rather go their way. Because people are broken and power makes it worse. And so we see all these kings going their own way, but then King Uzziah takes the throne. King Uzziah was unlike any king that they had had since King David. He loved the Lord with all of his heart. He pursued his commands. He he sought peace with their neighbors. They had been in war for hundreds of years. But during the entire reign of King Uzziah, they found peace. It was unprecedented. They found prosperity, unlike anything they'd had since the days of King Solomon. And it was all because this king just listened to where God wanted him to go And he went there. He had this relationship with God. He followed his commandments. He would let no other foreign gods into the land. And for the prophet of God, it was a good time to be alive. But towards the end of King Uzziah's life, as his mental state weakened and his health weakened, so did the kingdom. And foreign gods started to come in. And his sons were not the men that he is, the men that he was. And they started to bring in these negative influences and When King Uzziah died, it was the end of prosperity for Israel and Judah. Shortly after that, Israel was conquered. Shortly after that, Judah was conquered. They would never be their own kingdoms again. They're still struggling for power today. It was his sons of King Uzziah that would bring all this negative influence into their and negative uh, 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 experiences into their kingdom. And so for Isaiah, the death of King Uzziah was one of the most devastating moments of his entire life. It was horrible. It was difficult. The next king threw him out of the court. Wouldn't listen to him. He, he had the voice of God speaking to him, but he didn't know who to communicate it to. In the year King Uzziah died, could be a sermon to itself, but it tells you that this was Isaiah's season of pain, difficulty, and changing. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. That saying, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, that's an ancient colloquialism. It means that it shook me to my foundations. See, in his season of greatest pain, Isaiah encountered God and it shook him to his foundations. And I believe we can experience that as well. In fact, I believe we should experience that. Now, maybe you're in a season of pain. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one or you're at the other side of a dating relationship. It's ended. Or you've lost your job or it's a financial strain. And your instinct in this season is to run from God. Your instinct is to blame Him, to isolate yourself, to embrace your anger and your pain. But I believe that if you would instead use this season to seek Him more, you would encounter Him like you never have before. 
I believe that in this season, if instead of pulling away from God, you would run to him, you would have experiences with him like you never dreamed of. I know that a lot of times when we're, when we're going through these seasons of pain, we have all these excuses why we can't wake up early to pray. Because we're angry about it. And, and we have all these you know, reasons why we, we disengage from church. We stop going on Sundays. We don't want to be around those people right now. We don't go to life group anymore. We have all these reasons that we don't go to life group because it's just too hard to talk about. And, and we don't want to go and try to pretend. And so we stop going into community. And we do all these things, but I believe that we have to retrain ourselves. Retrain our natural instincts. Because if you will instead, during those seasons, seek God with all of your heart, you'll have some of the most honest prayers of your life when you're in your most difficult seasons of pain. When you come before Him and you just pour your heart out to Him and just tell Him what you're feeling and why. You, you know, some of the best prayers I've had... The, the, most, the closest I've felt to God in prayer has been when everything has felt like it's falling apart around me, and I just cry out to God and ask why. I remember seasons, uh, I've, I've shared my testimony here a few times, I won't get too deep into it here today, but I remember seasons where I just thought I did not have a future forward, that I got on my knees and I just tell, told God all about it. I just remember crying out about it and, 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 and yelling at him about it and asking why and, and all of it. And I remember that it was in those moments that I could feel him closest to me. If instead of running from community, if we would go to community, let our, our people in our life groups hold us up, then I think we would, be, we would find a shoulder for, to lean on through our grief. That if instead of avoiding church, if we would engage with the church, that we would experience God in worship in ways that we haven't before. Sometimes I think our pain can be a catalyst for our greatest gain. So if instead from running from Him in our pain, we would run to God, I believe we would encounter God. And when we do, here's what happens. When we see God, when we see God clearly, we see ourselves clearly. When we see God clearly, we begin to see ourselves clearly. So here's the thing. Here's another reason why people get stuck in this place where they've started some spiritual disciplines and they've started to follow Jesus, but they have a hard time going to the next place. And that's because when you truly do begin to encounter God, when you learn how to hear Him, you begin to see you. See, I think when you start to really pursue God, He allows you to begin to see into who He is. And at the same time, you allow Him to see you, to look into the deepest parts of you. And then when He's doing that, you begin to see you. Things that you had been ignoring for a long time. Parts of yourself that you'd put away. Parts of yourself you had been pretending were fine. All of a sudden, one day, you realize it's not. And you begin to really see who you are. And you're faced with the option of either confronting it or ignoring it. And that's difficult. And we don't want that. We don't want to have to deal with that. So let me warn you. If this is what you want, if you want to keep walking down this road and get closer to God, at some point, you're going to see you, and you're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to encounter yourself as well. You're going to have to look into who you are and confront that. Maybe in the past, you started to really encounter God and have a deeper relationship with Him, but, they get, but then you began to see you, and you stopped, and you slowed it down. And you began to make excuses not to wake up early and pray. Or you began to make excuses not to go to life group because, again, of your great shame. And then when, when church and life group and 
studying the Bible didn't work, when it felt like your relationship with Jesus wasn't going anywhere, it was work's fault because you were too busy, or it was the church's fault because they didn't try hard enough, or it was your friend's fault because they let you down. But the reality is, we just didn't want to confront ourselves. But I believe we need this moment. See, I believe if we really do want to encounter God, we want to hear Him speak to us, that we have got to take this moment that we begin to see ourselves to stop and listen. Isaiah sees the presence of God, the glory of God in his season of pain. And that's in verse 4. And then in verse 5 he says, Woe is me. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, but my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord, the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah sees the throne room of God, but then he, he, the next thought that he has is he's devastated by how unworthy he is to see it. He begins to encounter God, but he can't go any further because he's devastated by how broken he is inside. And this is our experience sometimes too. We begin to really experience God and we have these highs, these mountaintop experiences, but all of a sudden the mountain crumbles and we see ourselves and we just think, woe is me. I'm not worthy of this. I'm not good enough for church. I can't be on the dream team. How could I serve God? Look at who I am. And we have to really confront ourselves, and it's not easy. I want to lead you to an encounter with God this morning. But you need to know that if you're going to go there, you're going to have to go here first. You're going to have to confront yourself first. And I want to tell you, Life Group is a great place to do this. It's a great outlet for this. It's a great place to encounter God is in community. And a great place to wrestle with who you are is in community. I was in a, a, a life group uh, a few years back for a number of years, and it was just, it was a simple group. It was just me and then five of my closest friends, and we would get together every morning for breakfast, and we would have breakfast at a bowling alley, because that makes a lot of sense. It was, a, it was a San Francisco Bay Area. There just weren't that many restaurants around, so we ate at a bowling alley. That's not true. There's restaurants everywhere. Anyways, we ate at this bowling alley cafe. We would meet there at 6.30 every Wednesday morning. And we would, we would get together and we'd get this greasy breakfast and we'd laugh and hang out, talk about, you know, comic book movies and stuff. And then after about a half hour, 45 minutes of just hanging out with each other, our, our leader, the life group leader, would, would turn to the guy on his right and he would look at him and he would say, hey man, what's the condition of your soul today? And that was the question. That was kind of, that was what we were to come and talk about every week. It was just that simple. One question, life group. What's the condition of your soul today? And I remember that first time he turned to my buddy on his right and he said, so what's the condition of your soul today? My buddy said, yeah, pretty good. I'm pretty good. Life's pretty good. Everything's pretty good. Yeah, I feel pretty good. Um, okay, great. Next. And it was my turn. And I said, yeah, I'm pretty good. You know, life's pretty good. Job's pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good. Everything's pretty good. Yep. And he turned to the next guy. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty good. You know, I got a couple couple meetings this week, you know, but, uh, but I guess work's pretty good, and I'm pretty good, and wife's pretty good, kids are pretty good, and I'm pretty good, pretty good. You know, it just kind of went on like this, and the next week, everybody's just pretty good, pretty good, pretty good, yeah, I'm pretty good. How you doing? I'm pretty good, you know, pretty good. And everybody just going around, everybody's pretty good, you know, and went on for like, for like four or five weeks like this, four or five weeks like this. And then one day, I remember it, he turned, and the first guy was pretty good, and then we got to the second guy who was to answer the question and said, hey man, what's the condition of your soul? And he just he was about to say, 
you know, I'm pretty good. But then he stopped for a minute and he said, you know what? I'm really stressed out at work. I've got these projects that they've given me that are too big for me, and I don't know how to manage it. And, I'm, and I, I, don't, I know I'm not going to meet my deadlines, and I'm worried I'm going to lose my job. And, and I'm taking it home, and I'm taking that stress home because I don't know how to carry it, and I'm, I've been mean to my wife, and I've not been very patient with my kids, and honestly, I'm not really sure how to, how to handle this right now. And it was there at that moment that that life group transformed, changed forever. It only takes one. Did you know that? When you're in life group, you ever noticed? It only takes one person to open up and to take the mask off. And all of a sudden, that group is transformed. That point forward, we would go in there and we would just open up. We would take the mask off. Nobody was pretty good anymore. We found out that we were all pretty busted up. That as a matter of fact, we were all pretty broken and hopeless and scared. And we needed each other to go forward. You see, when you start to realize who you really are, Life group is a great place to wrestle with that because we can take the mask off there. You know, a lot of us, we put these masks on. You know, maybe you grew up in a church where that was what was expected of you. And, you know, you come pulling into the parking lot and you're, you're driving down State Street dodging cars coming straight at you, you know. And at the meantime, you're swatting at the kids in the back seat. And, I swear if you say that one more time, I will pull this car over and you will meet Jesus today. You know, and then your wife's like, hey, you can't talk to him like that. You don't talk like me like that either. You get out of the car and you're getting him. I'll get in the car seat. You get the toddler, you know, and you're getting the things and you're arguing. And then that, your foot hits the sidewalk and you're like, and here come my angels. Let us present ourselves to the Lord. <laughs> behold, behold, you walk with your wife up. Here's my beautiful wife. May us partake in the holy communion of coffee today. Amen. And amen. How are we? We are absolutely wonderful. God's grace is upon us. Amen, brother. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we just throw on that church mask, don't we? We just think that when we get to church that everybody else there is just, they're just a bunch of angelic Christian people and we need to make sure that they feel we are too. But the reality is every single one of us that acts like we're doing fine, a lot of times something's going on inside that we just don't want to talk about today. And the church is a place where you should not have to pretend. The church is a place where you should not have to put a mask on when you come up in the parking lot. See, I believe that the gathering church should be the one place that you are the most safe to take that mask off every week. Say, you know what, I'm not doing pretty good. I'm not doing all right. I don't know, I don't know what Monday looks like. I don't, I, don't know how, I don't know what tomorrow looks like. But I'm not looking okay today. See, I believe the church is the place where you can be real with people, where you can show people your scars, where you can be authentic. And this is the place where we can come alongside you when you begin to see who you really are and we can help you become who God created you to be. That's what the church does. That's what the church was made for. Come on, amen, somebody. Somebody come along. Come on now. Somebody better agree with that. That's what community does. And that's what I would encourage you to do. Let God show the deepest parts to you so you can let him or, and somebody else help you to overcome it. But then here's what happens. So once you've dealt with what's going on now, sometimes you've got to deal with what happened then. Sometimes you've got to deal with what happened then. Number three, God removes our past so he can redeem our future. God removes our past so he can redeem our future. When you begin to see yourself clearly, it's time to get over your past. See, some of us don't do that because we have the wrong idea of God. Some of us grew up in a church where, 
where we, we just were told that we were wretched and awful, and that God just wants us to see how wretched we are, that we, we, we don't have any business doing anything but understanding that we are so broken and sinful and awful and wretched, and we get fixated on our past so that we can understand God's holiness. And I just don't think that's who God is. And I don't think that's what God wants. I don't think that's how he sees us. I don't think he sees us and he sees the wretchedness of our past. I think he sees his grace and he sees the hope of our future. See, I think that's who God is. And I think that when we get in this place, we have the wrong understanding of God. Look at Isaiah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. You know what happens when you touch something that's burning hot like a live coal to an open wound? It seals it. Seals it. In fact, in ancient times, they didn't have stitches. If you would go to the physician with an open wound, the common practice was to take a hot iron or a hot stone and press it onto that wound to seal it. That would hurt, y'all. That's, that's what they're doing at some of these urgent cares around here. You've got to be careful. <laughs> You've got to be careful because we got anesthesia today. You don't have to do that anymore, all right? But Isaiah, <laughs> he feels like his mouth is an open wound. Like it's so unclean and it's so dirty and it's so, so hurt from his past. But the angel, the seraphim, reaches in and he seals it. And I believe that God doesn't want you to dwell on your past. I believe he wants to seal it with his grace so that you can move forward into your future. He says your guilt, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Understand the importance of the first part of that. Because sometimes we understand that our sin is atoned for, but we just live in that guilt. We just live in it. It's hard to get past that past, but God wants to seal it. He doesn't want you to live in it. He wants it to be taken away. This is what happens. If we want to encounter God, we have got to let him take it away. We've got to let him seal our past. Isaiah begins to see himself clearly, and he sees his vast collection of mistakes. And he sees the deepest parts, and he recognizes that he's not fit for the ministry of God. But the seraphim reaches down and seals it up, makes him clean, says your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And that is exactly what Jesus has done for us on the cross. The cross is the coal, and your past has been sealed. All you have to do is accept the gift of the cross, and it's done for you. Your past is sealed. You get to move forward into the promise of your future. That's what he does for us. So we have to let him. And if we'll do that, at the end of it, that's what an encounter with God looks like. And we're on the other side of this encounter with God. And instead of running from him in a hard season, we ran to him. And we had to wrestle with ourselves. And we had to wrestle with our past. And we had to, we had to come to terms that he had enough grace for both of those things. Once you've done that, then you'll be able to hear it. You'll be able to hear the voice of God. When you turn to your left and your right, you'll hear a voice telling you which way to go. But I believe what you'll hear that voice saying is, who will go for us? Whom shall I send? And at that point, you'll be ready to say, here I am. Send me. And if that's you this morning, 
If you're ready to encounter God in that way this morning, then I believe the prophet would have three more words of encouragement for you. Just three more words of encouragement for you. Something to take home with you. Something to feel good about. I think we should leave, leave church feeling good sometimes, don't you? I think we should feel like, you know what, I'm going to make it. It's going to be all right. So here's three words of encouragement, and then we're all done this morning. The first one is this. God wants to reveal more of himself to you. No matter who you are, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, it doesn't matter if you've been following God for 40 years or 40 minutes. God wants to reveal more of himself to you. He's got more that you haven't found out yet. I get excited about this promise because I, 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 it's part of my job. I read the Bible every day, but I always feel encouraged knowing that he's not told me everything about himself yet, that I get to find out more of God. You know, Moses was the, was the closest to God maybe anybody other than Jesus ever has been. It says that he spoke to him face to face like a friend in Scripture. But Moses actually only ever saw a little piece of God's back. That's all God ever revealed to him. And if that's all God's revealed to Moses, then I must have only seen maybe like one skin cell. If you're really holy, maybe you've seen like one mole on his back somewhere. You know, that's a weird joke, okay? I won't make that one again. Shouldn't have made it second time. This is the second service. Everybody responded just as uncomfortably the first time. I believe God wants to reveal more of himself to you. I believe he's not finished yet. That wherever you are, there's, a, there's something else waiting. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found and call on him while he is near. I believe he wants to reveal more of himself so we should ask him to. Ask him to. Go to him in prayer with the expectation that when you get up, you will have seen more of who God is. He's just waiting for us to ask. Jeremiah 29, 13 gives another a qualifier for this. He says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Yes, I carry a handkerchief. Somebody asked me that the other day. When you, f- you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You got to go all in. You got to give it everything you got. You want to find God. You want to seek him. You want him to reveal more of yourself, himself to you. You've got to go all in. You know, I talk to people and they say, I don't know, I keep asking God to reveal himself to me, but, but he's, not, he's, not, he's not showing me anything. I'm, and I, and I oftentimes I'll pry, I'll do some questioning at that point. And I'll find that the majority of their prayer time is about a sandwich or a meal that they're about to have. God, please bless this food, amen. And I believe that we have a throne room audience. That we have an audience with the king sitting on the throne. And that if we would ask him genuinely every single day, go all in, seek him with all of your heart, he would reveal himself to us. We can't look for him like my toddler does when I ask her to find her socks and she says, I can't find them, daddy, and she's under a blanket on the couch, okay? (laughs) Eleanor, did you look? I looked everywhere. I did. I know I did. They're on the couch next to you. Put them on. You know, we can't look for God like that. It doesn't work. If you want to seek God, you've got to seek Him with all of your heart. That means go all in. Like we talked about on Easter, give us a year. Give us a year and do it all. I mean, pray every day. Pray every day. Make time for it. Make it a priority. Create a space for it. Seek God in, in the Bible every single day. See what He has said and see what He says to you through those words. The, 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 the Bible says that the Scriptures are alive and active. 
Let them be alive in your life. Go all in. Join the dream team. Don't just watch what God is doing in our community. Be a part of what God is doing in our community. Don't just see lives being changed. Be a part of lives being changed. Join the dream team. Go all in. Get in a life group. Do the whole thing. Go all the way and seek him with all of your heart and you will find him because God wants to reveal more of himself to you. Here's the key. Go all in. Second is this. God wants to change you. God wants to change you. People oftentimes talk about change and say, I want God to change me. But when it begins to happen, they resist it because they learn that it's hard. See, I believe that God loves you exactly the way you are, but that he loves you too much for you to stay that way. That he wants you to change. He wants to bring about change in your life. Isaiah 1, 18 through 19 says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you will, be a, you will eat from the best in the land. See, God wants to change you. He wants to turn your scarlet sins white as snow. To turn them from crimson to wool. But there's a qualifier here too. You've got to be willing and obedient. Willing and obedient. That means study Jesus and do what he does. That means study Jesus and do what he says. If you want a good, uh, a good example of how to live like Jesus, just work your way through the Gospel of Matthew. Watch the way he interacts with people. Read the things he teaches. Read 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mountain. Understand his compassion, the way that he loves people recklessly, without any qualifiers, the way that he loves people, the compassion he has to go out of his way for them and learn to live like him. And God will begin to change you. But you have to be willing and obedient to change. Open yourself up to change. Go all in. Let them change you. Some people, you tell them this and they say, you know, man, I can't change. I've been, I've been mean my whole life. My daddy was mean and his granddaddy was mean. We're just mean people. Can't, we can't change. You can't change me. I would, I would love to, but I can't. No, I don't believe that. I don't think anybody's beyond change. I don't think there's ever been a single person who God could not transform into the person they were created to be. And I believe God creates people, that he makes you, that your makeup, your DNA, your gifts, your passions, they're put there by him for him. And no matter what you've purposed them for, God wants to redeem them for his purpose. God wants to change you. Open yourself up to change. Go all in and let him change you. He can do it. But here's the key. Take the next step. So a lot of times we get overwhelmed by this. We get overwhelmed. Maybe you've been in church for a few weeks now and you know you had an encounter with Jesus on Easter and you're trying to learn through this series what to do next and you want to learn how to hear God, but it's a little bit overwhelming. It's a little bit overwhelming because there's so much. And you just think, man, I, you know, I, there's so much, I guess, you talk about going all in. That's a lot. What am I supposed to do? I'd encourage you just to take your next step. Just do it one step at a time. Just focus on what's right in front of you. Take the next step. If you just entered into a relationship with Jesus, then the next step is baptism, water baptism. Water baptism is your next step. It's an act of obedience. He says, be willing and obedient, and he'll begin to change you. First act of obedience is water baptism. Jesus called us to it. The apostles called us to it. It's not what makes us saved. It's, it's like marriage, kind of. You know, I, I've got a, a wedding license that makes me married to my wife. But the wedding ceremony 
was where I celebrated that with my friends and family. The wedding ceremony was where I let everyone in attendance know that I was committing my life to her till death do us part. The wedding ceremony was the place where I said, I'm giving myself to you. And that's what baptism is. It's the wedding ceremony. Come on now. This is your opportunity to celebrate with people that love you and say, I'm giving myself to this. I'm alive in Jesus. I'm resurrected in him. I'm going to live my life with him now. Maybe that's your next step. We're doing baptisms next week. Mark it on your Connect card today. Let us know if that's your next step. Maybe your next step is to just join the dream team. Maybe you have been sitting on the sidelines for a long time and you almost feel what's happening in the gathering and you can feel that that there's something special here, that there's something different here, but maybe you want to experience it. If that's you, your next step is just to be a part of it. Just join the dream team. The dream team is not about volunteers to fill roles. It's about finding the purpose you were created with and using it to make a difference in the lives of others. I got a spoiler alert. We talk about purpose a lot here. Your purpose has never been about you. It's about somebody else. It's about how God can use you to bless somebody else. So take that next step today. Join the dream team. Or maybe you've just been in life and you've been trying to look into yourself, trying to get better, but you can't do it on your own. You need somebody to come beside you. Maybe your next step is to join a life group. It's not too late. You can get in on one that's happening right now or in just a few weeks, we're going to have brand new ones, an easy on-ramp to join a life group. Coming right up. Get ready. Commit to it today. Say, I'm getting in a life group. I'm going to let somebody come alongside me. Here's Here's something you need to know. Life group, not everybody's not going to have all the answers for all your problems. That's not what it's about. It's about people saying, I hear you, I see you, and I'm with you. Let's do this together. And we need that. Oh, we need that. Take your next step. That's the key. Take your next step. Third thing is this. Once you've gone through it all, once you you begin to encounter God, Here's how you know you've encountered God. When you begin to understand that God has an assignment for you. God has an assignment for you. This is the way. Walk in it. Whether I turn to the right or the left, I just hear this voice behind me saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Isaiah encounters God and God says, who will go for us? Whom shall we send? Here I am. Send me. God has an assignment for you. He created you with a purpose. You were created by God, for God, to be used by God to serve others. You have a purpose. You have an assignment. The world needs you. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. The prophet looks at the people and he says, Arise. Arise, church. Arise. Wake up. Stop waiting. Get up, church. Come on, arise. We need you. The world needs you. Arise. Stop waiting around. It's not about you. It was never about you. You want to know how to hear God? You want to encounter God? You're going to have to start moving outside of yourself and doing it for somebody else. Because it was never about you. Arise, church. Wake up. Rise. Shine. Shine. They need you. They need you today. Arise. 
for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples. There's darkness out there. Did you know that? Our friends and our family, the people we pass on the street every day, a thick darkness is over them. A thick darkness is in this community. A thick darkness is in this city. But we've got the light. See, God's light is upon you. And the Lord rises upon you and His glory appears over you. And nations will come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your dawn. Arise, church. Wake up. God has an assignment for you. There is darkness all around you. There is darkness in this city. But the church has the light that they need to see. So it's time to take your assignment. It's time to say, God, here I am. Send me. I will find my purpose. I will make a difference. I won't do it for me. I will do it for them because my life has been transformed. I have been rescued and saved and changed. You have sealed up my past. You have redeemed my future. And I'm not going to keep that to myself because there's too much darkness out there and I need them to see the light that is shining upon me. And nations will come to your light. And kings will sit in the presence of the one who has made them. My favorite verse, Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us new in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. He didn't create us new for us. It was so we could take up our assignments and bring this light into the dark places. If you're ready to encounter God, then it's time to take up that assignment. So here's the key. Discover your purpose. Discover your purpose. If you haven't been through the growth track yet, you need to get in the growth track. Just give us a couple weeks. Let's talk about how God made you so we can discover your assignment. See, we all have the same, we all have the same mission, and that is just to bring this light into the darkness. But God has made each and every one of us unique in how we do that. That's what your purpose is. It's time to discover that purpose so that we can begin to encounter God every day, so we can hear him, so that no matter which way we turn, to the right or to the left, there would be a voice behind us saying, this is the way. Walk in it.